Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny, which is also the ultimate meaning and destiny for all things. It is only found in the ultimate perfection and manifestation of love, who is who the one true eternal God is. I just briefly want to refer those that are new to my website at ultimatemeaning.com. If you're really hungry and thirsty for reality, you will want to check that out because there is very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me in that flip book. And a lot of the print is highlighted in red, which are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos showing from many fields of science and from archaeology and so on, the reality of what I am sharing here. This message is for those that have come to know the one true eternal God who is revealed as the ultimate perfection of love, a love so great that there can't be any love imagined that is greater or that could exist that is greater. It is the light of the world. This love is so pure, so integrous, that it is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love, which always chooses the highest lasting good, over any lesser choice. Any lesser choice as such would obviously have a measure of corruption in it. This love is like a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love that always chooses the highest lasting good. It is the very opposite of corruption. It is what ensures a destiny with no corruption. I am speaking about the holiness of God, the holiness of his love. Yes, God's love is so pure and integrous it will not tolerate anything that is contrary to this love. But it's so ultimate in its perfection that before the world was created, in fact, from the infinite past, it was always in the being of God. To have a capacity of love so great that he could become a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice as he did in Jesus Christ on the cross. You might ask, well, how can Jesus Christ be God? God is great enough to be able to communicate with his creation. He did it in Genesis 18. There Abraham is at his tent door and he sees three men standing maybe about 10 feet ahead of him. He runs to them. He recognizes they're more than just mere men. And he asks if he can make a wonderful meal for them, and he does, and they all eat. And while he's eating and talking with them, he addresses one of them as Yahweh. The main leader is Yahweh, which is the most sacred name for God. So there we have Jesus Christ appearing to Abraham way back in Genesis 18. And yes, God is great enough that he could actually in his love condescend 
into this world and communicate with his creation as he did in Jesus Christ and go to the cross. He became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice for you. He suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature, so that you could repent and receive his love and be forgiven by repenting of your sins, asking for him to cleanse you in his blood and to forgive you. You can be reconciled and restored to God. And this message is for those that have done that, that are gathered together, whether in just an assembly of two or three people or right up to very large assemblies, to the churches gathered around Jesus Christ throughout the United States, throughout Canada, and around the world in this time of such serious crisis, I am here to speak a message prophetically to the body of Christ. And let me explain what I mean by that. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I will seek to do that. This is explained further in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great reverence and humility, in great love for God, we are filled with His Spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are beyond ourselves and of insights and revelation that is beyond ourselves. It comes out of worshiping God. So I will seek to give this message in a heart set and a mindset of worship, not by preparing a long message. What I do is I cast lots with two independent random applications on the internet to get the possibility of any chapter. And of course, with those two, I get two chapters so that those two chapters bear witness with each other as to the theme as to what God is speaking. When this is done with great reverence and you're right with God and a deep love relationship with God, it works. Otherwise, you could be, if you're deceiving yourself and living for yourself, a selfish, corrupt life. No, that would be divination, which is, of course, contrary and abominable to God. So today I want to share with you the two passages I received. I only spent a half an hour meditating on these two chapters. And then I speak not knowing what I'm going to really speak, except for the few maybe scriptures I pasted. But before that, I always, always choose a song of worship. Today I had to prepare that with a background in print. And so it's the first one on my Play song list on my site at loverealize.com. Yes, you've got a lot of songs there that you can use on an overhead projector because there are YouTube videos that have the words with a beautiful background. And I'm very particular that the songs are good songs. So this day I didn't choose it by the casting of Lot, but by just uh, finding one that I thought would be a really good song to... Uh, have with this message. So we'll do, go into that song and you can sing along and worship before I share this message today. Here we go. 
coming. song and how important it is that we are those that in trembling and in fear are covered in his blood are walking in the light as he is in the light then we have fellowship with God and with one another such deep and intimate fellowship I want to share with you now the passages 
that I received today by the casting of lot before the Lord. Today I received Romans chapter 7 and Job chapter 29. And most of us are familiar with Romans chapter 7. And so I will read just verses 11 to 14 right now in Romans chapter 7 where it says, For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, if we go further into Romans chapter 7 here, I will have to just see if I can instantly get back to it. I don't think in this case I will. I will just uh, turn to that now. Romans chapter 7. And we know that at the beginning, Paul describes and likens the law to a woman that is married to her husband, and the husband represents the law. And when her husband dies, that woman is no longer going to be called an adulteress if she's married to another man. And of course, this is likened to us who have embraced Christ. In embracing Christ, we have embraced the one that perfectly fulfilled the law. Now, God, when he gave the law in the Old Testament, would never intended that the children of Israel should be fixated on mere performance, fixated on the law rather than him in a love relationship. The law was needed to restrain many as a nation that would otherwise have corrupted themselves. But his intention was that always that they would love him with all their heart, with all their mind, and with all their being, where the focus would be on him in the fulfilling of righteousness, which would be this, these laws that were given. But how easy it is to get into performance where the focus is on ourselves and that we are pleasing God and it is our sufficiency. It was always God's intention from the very beginning that man would know a relationship with him out of the genuine fear of God. And when there is the genuine fear of God, there is never a mindset in us that allows for perverted perception, monotheistic perception of God that allows for this to evolve into a relationship that is mere performance out of focus on the law. And so we find here that the children of Israel when they were given the law, they said, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll keep it. They sprinkled the blood of the covenant and so on, Moses. And, he says, and then he says, you're not going to be able to do it. Why? 
Was he saying that already? Because he was trying to point out to them that they need to put their trust in the Lord. They need to be honest before him in their weakness. Yes, the law exposes the flesh, as is clearly pointed out here in Romans. And so we can read a few more verses on that. For when we, verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The oldness of the letter instead of the newness of spirit. What stifles the human spirit is routine, is ritual is focus on performance rather than focus on the very being of who God is. In a fellowship that reciprocates who God is. This is what is involved in the genuine fear of God. It is a deep turning from the heart that recognizes out of great reverence the holiness of God, first of all, which is the integrity of, uh, of his love that I shared about in the introduction. It is so easy when we see all the suffering that we experience in our own lives and those around us to get our focus on how much we're suffering and why God would allow this in our lives and why is God allowing this in this person's life and so on and so forth. And then we begin to become unthankful in our hearts. And we begin to get a distorted view like Cain of God as requiring performance, a dictator requiring appeasement. But King David emphasizes time and time again in the Psalms that we are to worship God out of the beauty of holiness. He does not perceive the holiness of God, which is the integrity of his love that requires judgment, as something that is a mere performance. He sees the beauty. He sees the beauty of the being of God, which is in his holiness, that his love is so pure that it will not tolerate sin. He himself experienced temporarily falling into the trap of the law. That happened when the ark came out. When the ark was being picked up by those priests and they began to lose a reverence for God. And they began to treat that ark in a common way and ignore the law that it was supposed to be carried on their shoulders and not by a, on an ox cart. I guess it was heavy. I don't know. And the, or the ground was very rough. But they were to carry it with great reverence. And God smote Ahoi, I believe the name of the gentleman was, that was the high priest. And David was afraid of God. You see, you need to have in the genuine fear of God, that trembling and that fear of God, but not a fear of God and a trembling 
that is wrongly perceiving him, but how easy it is to be perverted in our fear of God so that we have a counterfeit fear of God, a counterfeit perception of God. And that results in falling into the trap of the law, of the letter of the law and of mere ritualistic performance of a non-thankful tendency in our heart. And so, we find ourselves being exposed and, 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 and coming to a place where, where we're finally either going to admit how fallen we are and come to God boldly to his throne, or we're going to deceive ourselves more and harden our hearts more and persecute those that are truly righteous because they've entered into the genuine fear of God into a true loving relationship with God. It says in Isaiah 28 about this relationship there, where it says here a little, there a little. And it compares it to a baby sucking from the breast of a mother. And then it says here a little, there a little again, comparing it to someone that is doing it in the letter. And it was says then in that verse, if you turn there in I, chap, to that chapter, Isaiah 28, that the purpose of that here a little, there a little with them that were not receiving his law like a child sucking his mother's breath was that it might cause them to stumble and to fall away so that they would come to a place of seeing their undoneness before God and truly be born again of the Spirit and enter into the genuine fear of God. Where they see that his holiness as severe as it is, is good and that out of that comes only when we know the genuine holiness of God and delight in it. Can we know our undoneness before God and our need of his mercy? We cannot even perceive the greatness of his mercy to us until we come to that place. And it was like that from the beginning, from the time of Adam to now. There has been this process that has brought genuine rebirth. Christ expected Nicodemus to know what it meant to be born again before he died in the cross. He expected the spiritual leaders should have known that. And then you can see true conversion experiences throughout the Old Testament with Manasseh and others that were very wicked people. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's the initial conversion, and then there's the ongoing processes of conversion in our lives like Peter experienced. He had already the revelation of who Christ was as the Messiah, but he experienced a deeper conversion when he denied the Lord. And he went out and wept bitterly. Brothers and sisters, what is God saying from this passage to the body of Christ today? When we look at this passage of Scripture and I ask, why did God give me Job 29? Well, Job 29 is a very interesting chapter. Job is des describing how great he, he's describing his remembrance of all the blessings that he experienced because he lived such a wonderful, righteous life before God. It says, moreover, Job continued his parable and said, oh, that I were as in the months of 
past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me, when I washed my steps with butter and the rock poured me out rivers of oil, when I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street. The young men saw me, and they hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The nobles held their peace, and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me, and when the eye saw me, it gave me witness to me, because I delivered the poor that cried, the fatherless with and him that had none to help. The blessings of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. Job knew a wonderful relationship with God. I was eyes to the blind. He helped the blind. And feet was I to the lame. He would go out of his way to help blind people. I was a father to the poor. And the cause which I knew not, I searched out. And I break the jaws of the wicked and pluck the spoil out of his teeth. Then said I, I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days. My, I don't need to go on to read this. My glory was fresh in me, and my bow was renewed in my hand. God's blessing was on his life. He was a man of righteousness that feared God. And yet look at what God had to put him through. God allows trials in our lives to expose how far we fall short from his glory. And in a sense, the trials can be likened onto the law. The law is good. And when God allows trials in our life, it is good. In fact, the word of God in alignment with those trials exposes the things in us that are not of God. And so we read here in Job 29, all about that. And then we go to Job 38, 1 to 4, and it says this, And the Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. So Job was darkening the counsel of God by words without knowledge because in the pressure of the trial, it was so hard for him to understand why he who loved God and prayed for his own family and did animal sacrifices in atonement for his own family and was reaching out to the poor and to the widow and to the helpless. Why? 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 And at that point, he tended to question God. It's not wrong to question God. It's wrong when the questioning gets to the point where we are mocking God with those that are haters of God. 
or we are unthankful in our heart. It says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, that in everything you should give thanks. That means in trials. In fact, some people come to the place where they learn to rejoice in trials because they know somehow God's going to do a great work in their life through it, and and, and they're going to come out the other end even more blessed in a love relationship with God. So it says we're to glory in tribulation. We go on and we read. So God is basically showing in this first place here in Job 38, his creativity. He's saying, Job, why can you not trust me? If I'm allowing something like that in your life, you should that shouldn't cause you to not trust me. You should realize if I created everything that I am creative enough to allow something in your life for a purpose, you should recognize that. That's what it says in Peter. Them that suffer are to commit the keeping of their soul unto God as unto a faithful creator or a faithful one in his creativity. He is faithful in his creativity to fulfill that purpose. As If you're walking, of course, like Job was walking in a good heart with God, he's faithful to bring you through it. Then we go on to Job 40 one day. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. So Job was saying, Well, God, if you do this to me, there's something must be wrong with you. Or he was getting, maybe he didn't say that, but it was something that was percolating in him and concerning him. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once I have spoken, and I will not answer, yea, twice. But I will proceed no further. Then answered Yahweh unto Job out of the whirlwind, and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? You see what God was getting at? Job's own righteousness. Trusting in our own righteousness. There's a verse in Ezekiel 33 that says that if the righteous turn from his righteousness because he trusts in his righteousness. This is in the Old Testament. God teaches very clearly in the Old Testament that we are not to trust in our righteousness. And it is a teaching you can see throughout it. In Micah 6, it says, even if I give the fruit of my womb as a sacrifice to God, as Abraham almost did with Isaac, it would not suffice for my sin. They recognized that only God could forgive them and that only God ultimately could be that perfect atoning sacrifice, that he could only have the quality in his being to become one, that only he had the power to forgive them. Yes, those animal sacrifices were a kind of atonement that purified and cleansed the flesh, allowing the spirit to dwell with their soul and spirit, but not to indwell them until after Christ died then the soul and spirit could be cleansed and there could be the inner indwelling or the saturation of the soul and the spirit. But before then, because the spirit dwelt with their soul and spirit through atoning sacrifices, 
unto God with the recognition that God is the source of forgiveness, not the animal, they experienced being born again. It says, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. God is warning us as his people in this hour to return to the genuine fear of God, to an unconditional love relationship with him where we can say truly when we're going through trials, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Christ was slain on the cross. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he did not in that statement believe that God had forsaken him for he still had his trust in the Father though he experienced the forsaking judgment of God. He is God and he always had a state of selfless trust in the Father that was not corrupt. That is why it says in Romans 1.4 that he was risen from the dead by the spirit of holiness because that pure spirit was in him of unconditional trust in the Father. Yes, the mind needs release. It's hard to understand, and so we say, why, why, why? But in that release of burden, there is a total trust. It's not an unthankfulness. And so Christ said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He could never once cease to be God in the flesh. He conquered that corruption by his spirit of holiness and rose from the dead. And he wants us to come into the same conformity to his love that he has for the Father that was unconditional like his was for the Father on the cross, even experiencing the chastisement of God in our lives sometimes. We may be like Job, where the Lord reproves him and says, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. God is righteous, even when it seems like he's against us, because he's always for us. He is doing a work in our lives through trials to conform us to his image. And we are in a time of tribulation that's coming. Are we ready for it, brothers and sisters? We need to be. I want to share in closing here that I'm going through a great financial trial right now. We have nothing in my bank account because my car broke down in other circumstances. So help support me by purchasing my book, for example, or going to my website where you can do a donation. It's not nonprofit right now, but I need to get out of a lot of debt that I got myself into unwisely because I was putting the Lord first, seeking him in prayer and thinking I could do all this business and it would succeed. Spending money on my credit card to try to get things going. I've repented and abhorred that. Great repentance. But I need help. And I'm totally motivated just to serve Christ. And there's a book I have on the internet called God, Headship, and Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon which shows you everything you can do in your church to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local congregation. Brothers and sisters, wake up. This is no time to be asleep when there's mass genocide being committed around the world. In Ontario alone, there's, over, there's for sure 24 doctors that have died in the last month after they took their fourth shot 
Don't take the fourth shot, brothers and sisters. There's all kinds of people dropping dead after they take the fourth shot. These are a COVID bioweapon attack from the Chinese Communist Party. You can go to the links on my website. They're not conspiracy theories. They're solid, valid, highly substantiated, integrous news sources there. So God bless you. I am coming up very soon with a book on Life After Death Evidences. I'm not going to tell you the title of it yet. I haven't decided on it. I'm hoping this week or next week I will have it published on Amazon. So pray for me and that resources will come in to wake the body of Christ up to come forth and become his house of prayer and holiness. Thank you for listening to this message.